Babylon is panicked. It has pushed the West to the brink of civil war, and it lacks the capacity to extricate itself from the paradox of its ideology. Rational persons wonder what the left thought would happen. Did it think it could attack the right without an eventual reaction? This program of what amounts to extermination has ramped up since the 1960s. While controlling all of the major institutions, perhaps the left thought conservatives were too disorganized to put up much of a fight. Trump, more than any other person or influence, changed this dynamic. What has to give the left pause is the volume of deadly weapons in the hands of the right. The left has begun to arm itself, however, with gun control and its historic antipathy to guns on the left. It is unlikely the left will ever be able to respond to the level of violence that the right can. While the left could historically count on the justice system for support, years of maligning the police has made liberals more susceptible to counterattacks from the right. Did the left think rejecting God was going to work out well for them? God is the highest perfection man can imagine. Rejecting God is the same as rejecting all that is the highest and best and more perfect. Did liberals think things would work out better by abandoning the most perfect conception man is capable of? Did rejecting God work out well for the Israelites? It is not that God is vengeful. Not getting better because we did not follow the doctor's advice does not mean the doctor meant to harm us. If we do not aim for perfection, by means of obedience to God, we are likely to hit almost any mark other than the most sublime of outcomes. God may explain the outcomes of disobedience as the outpouring of his wrath. He may present events in a way that suggests the poor outcomes are the result of divine vengeance. This is no different than a doctor telling you that if you do not follow his advice, you will not get better. That we suffer after failing to obey God is often no stranger than the burn a person gets after putting their hand too close to fire. We have a keen ability to observe how predictable the natural world is. The physical world is governed by implacable laws. We know when the seasons will arrive and the timing of celestial events. This is often done more precisely than we can measure. But we think, as humans, we are above these laws. We appear to believe we, as humans, can do what we wish, where God is concerned, without any fear of repercussions. We know if we drive while drunk, we will cause an accident sooner or later. If we keep driving off cliffs into the water, at some point, we are going to hit something embedded in the water. We know this. We call such actions risky behavior. Insurance companies will not insure people who engage in rock climbing and other risky ventures. Regardless of what we observe when we take chances, we still think we can break the rules God gave us and things will work out right. In other words, we seem to believe we can manipulate God and the rules he has set for us. Unemployment, debt, and bankruptcy are not natural events. 
nor are they unpredictable. It does not take much education to understand that if the economy is not creating jobs, unemployment will increase, as will death and bankruptcies. These things are all related. It seems the answer to unemployment is to create more and more and more jobs. This is where it gets interesting, though. To create more jobs and reduce unemployment might appear to be the right thing to do. And then, why is it not done? Communist countries try and do this. They attempt to give everyone something to do. But when unemployment increases, wages increase. If workers are being paid too much, or getting too big a piece of the economic pie, full employment can increase and does increase bankruptcies. When full employment exists, workers can demand higher wages because they have more leverage. And their employers in such situations cannot make enough money to pay other costs of doing business. And therefore, bankruptcy is the result. A certain level of unemployment keeps wages low, enough so that businesses can make money. But lower wages also mean less money for consumers to spend. So this might drive up debt as the consumer looks for additional sources of income. If unemployment is too high, there is a lack of demand in the economy and businesses will not expand, and fewer new businesses will be started. Debt is future purchasing power, obtained at a premium. Debt is purchasing power, levied a fee or charge for being divorced from earnings. What we would have bought in the future, under normal circumstances, is purchased in the present at a premium. The additional cost compensates the creditor for the deferred enjoyment. The creditor delays gratification until some time in the future to make our own immediate gratification possible. The borrower compensates the creditor for their sacrifice and deferred gratification. This is technically warranted. They, the borrower makes use of a service. But borrowing money ultimately increases whatever inequality exists. Debt is a transfer of wealth from debtor to creditor. This is said to be compensation for the cost of waiting debt paid by the creditor on behalf of the borrower. There is, according to the lender, a cost to waiting, a cost of deferring gratification. This cost can be avoided by borrowing. The borrower compensates the lender for helping him or her to avoid the cost of waiting. However, the cost of waiting rarely, if ever, has a real financial cost. However, the cost of not waiting increases exponentially over time. At some point, we must wait. We must defer gratification in order to pay off the debt we have incurred. At some point, if the debt is not liquidated, compound interest eats away all of our disposable income until we must borrow to pay interest on the debt. When we discuss debt, the truth that leaps out at us is this. There has to be a structural 
inequality to begin with, to have systematic transfers of wealth away from the least prosperous to the more prosperous, there has to be this wealth disparity at the very outset. Any disparity in power and wealth will only be exacerbated over time through borrowing and lending. Not that the process is one-sided all of the time. The rich do lose their wealth and the poor can gain wealth. This is the exception, not the rule. The process of shifting wealth from the lower strata to the top continues irrevocably, even if the names and faces change. Free trade, or what amounts to an expansion of the base of the economy, reduces the relative rate of transfer. Individual borrowers do not need to lose as much as fast with a broader economic base to keep that expanding. When the economy has a smaller base, individual borrowers fare better, but the absolute of change increases the broader the base. For the economy to work for the people, there must be a free market. Unfortunately, the definition of a free market we were given presumes things that are not consistent with the idea of a free market. A market to be free must not have constraints limiting the economic engagement of the people. This rule extends to and covers those restraints and limitations intrinsic to the system in which the people operate. Conventional definitions of the free market assume limitations and barriers because the conventional definition assumes the existence of liberalism. Private ownership is contrasted with public ownership, but private ownership in capitalist countries does not discount the involvement of the state. The free market as unrestricted economic activity governed by competition and not by regulation assumes many things that are not consistent with free market economics. To compete without any restriction is not competition, it is all-out war. Imagine two butchers competing without any government intervention. It is not possible to imagine such a thing. Such restraint requires perfect human beings. If one butcher had a large following and the other no supporters, what would prevent the first from using his superior network of friends to shut down the competition? Indeed, how is it even possible to think of competition without winners and losers? A competition with rules requires a state and a regulatory environment. If there's no state, competition is warfare. If a government exists and licenses the establishment and governs their operations, even if to ensure competition, this is a regulated economy. Private ownership, in fact, as conceived of by libertarians, cannot exist without the regulatory powers of government. Anyone who thinks private ownership is possible without the state ought to walk down the road with a pail full of $100 banknotes and see what happens. Private ownership becomes public ownership without the state and also with the state. We cannot own assets privately without the state, and with the state, private ownership is impossible. The private ownership of the means of production is not what is significant in a free market. As indicated above, 
If privatization requires legit legitimacy by the state, it is not private ownership. It is private-public partnerships. What is needed for a free market is a people's market. We, the people, cannot have free markets unless this is the market that reflects the people's will. It appears difficult for people to understand. A regulated market is just the economic engagement of we, the people, usurped for limited ends by elites. But it's not that complicated. This is important to understand, absorb, and accept, because ending unemployment, debt, and bankruptcy requires a free or populist market. A free market is composed of transactions in which the buyer and seller fully cover each other's losses. This cannot happen if elites are sticking their hands in the transaction to subsidize some alternative event or situation. Both buyer and seller give up something to gain for what they value more. The loss, whether of goods and services or currency, is compensated for by what the other person in the transaction gives up. Therefore, in a people's transaction or populist exchange, no costs are externalized on society or future generations, which creates social costs. An exchange is a populist sell, as a transaction between buyer and seller is a unit of populism. Populist markets act as a brokerage to ensure all transactions conform to the standards of a free market. The purchase and sell is always transacted through the species of a populist brokerage or exchange. The exchange operates as a third-party trustee to administrate the fiduciary interest of buyer and seller. The exchange has dual agency, representing, as it does, both buyer and seller. The brokerage is a not-for-profit, charitable institution created to protect members from each other. The brokerage, the exchange, serves as a guarantor to the transaction, ensuring buyers get what they purchase and sellers are properly compensated. To set up a brokerage, assets of a particular type are donated. What is contributed depends on the type of brokerage set up. Donating assets to a brokerage makes one a member of that brokerage. If the brokerage services plumbers, then the tools and equipment used in plumbing is provided the brokerage or exchange. Each member of the plumbing exchange, as it is called, receives a single common share. A common share is a voting share. Members receive preferred shares equal to the value of the assets provided the exchange. Preferred shares serve as an accounting medium or unit of account. Those who sell their services receive preferred shares and those who purchase services pay with preferred shares. So people who donate goods and services and tools and equipment and so on to a brokerage to set it up are paid market value using preferred shares in 
the exchange. So the exchange receives orders and pays the plumber that does the work according to a standard rate. Those who order services pay the exchange. The more brokerages that are established, the wider the range of goods and services that are available to members. There's no benefit to the exchange not to have everyone working. The brokerage cannot go bankrupt. If surplus capacity exists, assets belonging to the exchange are reallocated to where they are needed, that is to a different exchange, whether an existing one or a new one. Preferred shares operate in lieu of cash, so there is no debt within a populist free market, that is, the exchange economy. Because the exchange uses preferred shares as a medium of exchange, fiat currency is traded for preferred shares, and these accumulations of cash are used to pay down and eliminate member debt. So therefore, when you get rid of the liberal system and replace it with one based on brokerages and the exchange economy, bankruptcies, unemployment, and debt are swiftly eradicated.